been studying these uh, four um, episodes that the Gospel writers put together, and each of the episodes demonstrates and reveals something about uh, the identity of Jesus and something about the mission of God. Uh, and it's like a, you know, a curtain being pulled back uh, as Jesus reveals more and more of who he is. So this is the, I sometimes just label them all four storms. Uh, the first one you remember was the physical storm of uh, the storm on the lake. Uh, but then there's the demon-possessed man who Jesus delivers. And then last week we were thinking about the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, and each of them are uh, situations that are beyond human control. That's the whole point. There's nothing that anybody can do about these situations until Jesus arrives. And then Jesus steps into the situation and he speaks and everything changes. And what we see, what is revealed is the fact that, that Jesus does the things that God does. So it reveals Jesus' identity as Yahweh, as divine, as the Son of God. Uh, and each of the storms, uh, as I sort of read them, each one gets worse. So the, uh, the storm on the lake is a, you know, it's, it's a terrible storm, but then the, the demon-possessed man is in an even worse situation because of, his, um, because of the evil that is oppressing him. And then the woman with the issue of blood is in a, an even more difficult situation because... It, it makes her an outcast, an outcast from her community. But more than that, she's an outcast from God. And now in this fourth storm, this fourth story, if you like, uh, it gets even worse because it involves the death of a child. So we're uh, recapping a couple of verses from last Sunday, uh, verses 40 to 42 from Luke chapter 8, and then, uh, then picking up in verse 49 to finish the episode. So here we go. Uh, now when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher any more. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him, except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child... Get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. The parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Let's have a word of prayer before we uh, try and unpack this passage. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we pray this morning that as we reflect on your word, our hearts, our minds would be open and attentive to you, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal your truth. Lord, would you bless the words of my lips, that what I speak may be words of truth and words of life. Uh, For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I should say, this um, fourth of the four um, storms, these encounters where there's a situation, it's beyond human control, and then Jesus arrives and makes a difference. So, It starts with this man Jairus, the synagogue leader, 
He comes and he falls at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. So we don't know a huge amount about Jairus, but he's, he has status. He is a synagogue leader. He has, you know, he has a reputation, a reputation to, uh, to preserve. He's someone who is well known in the community. And in coming to Jesus, he is, uh, he's taking a risk. Because Jesus is already, by this time, increasingly unpopular with the scribes and the Pharisees. He is increasingly being shut out of synagogues. Uh, he is regarded as, uh, uh, as a lawbreaker. Uh, the, the rulers are drawing the conclusion that Jesus is, is not to be trusted. He is not being faithful to God. He is not the kind of person that you should uh, have into a synagogue. And yet here is Jairus, the synagogue leader, who is prepared to sacrifice his reputation in order to come to Jesus. Uh, there's a, he's confronted with a situation that he can't do anything about. And because of what he's heard about Jesus, he believes that by coming to Jesus, he will find hope. And it's just a reminder to us that very often, uh, in order to come to Jesus... We have to be prepared to sacrifice our own reputation. One of the first things that we have to lay at the feet of Jesus, if we want to follow him, is our pride. One of the things that happens in coming to Jesus is we discover a new identity. One of my reflections in life is that so often the thing that we're, that we're always trying to do in life is, is establish our identity. Who am I? What makes me feel good about myself? What makes other people feel uh, you know, kind, you know, well disposed towards me? We're always trying to build our identity. And our identity is often built on, uh, well, what do I think about myself and what do other people think about me? And that's how we construct our identity. Uh, but in Jesus, we have to find a, a new identity where actually the most important thing is not what I think about myself or what other people think about me. It's, well, what does... Well, how does Jesus regard me? How does God regard me? And in the end, we have to get to a place where we're prepared to live our lives for an audience of one, if you like. That the most important thing is, well, well, what does Jesus think about me? How does God regard me? That's the most important thing. And our pride, well, we have to lay that down. I was in my daily readings this week. I was um, reading a bit further on in Luke's Gospel. The uh, the, the, the story of the father and his two sons. And I was, I was just straight, it's, um, I love how you, you, know, you read a very familiar passage for the, you know, the, the hundredth time and you see something that you hadn't seen before. And the thing that struck me as I was reading that uh, parable this week was simply how uh, when the younger son goes home, having you know, blown his inheritance and having you know, trashed his father and dishonoured his father, when the younger son heads home, his assumption is that when he gets home, there'll be a change in his status. Uh, you remember the power? He says, you know, I, I can't go home and expect to be welcomed back as a son. But maybe my father will have me back as a slave. There's going to be a change in my status. And that never seems to enter the father's head. The father is intent on welcoming home his son. And that's what happens when the son goes home. The son thinks there's going to have to be a change of status because of what I've done. And the father's thinking, no, there doesn't need to be a change of status. There needs to be restoration. 
And that's the heart of God. That's the compassion of God, which is why uh, when we come to Jesus, we can lay down our pride. Uh, we can lay down all of those things that we've used to construct our identity and our security and say, actually, when I come to Jesus, I find a new identity. We'll be thinking more about this um, next Sunday when we get to the beginning of, of chapter nine, because it's all about our the new identity that we find in Christ. But it's that thing of, well, am I prepared to uh, you know, lay down my reputation in order to come to Jesus. I was um, reminded, I don't know if you saw the um, the interview with uh, uh, Nadim Ednam Laparouse, remember the father of the, the girl who died from the, the nut allergy in 2016 and the law has been changed for food labelling. And uh, because of, through the, his daughter Natasha's death, he came to faith in Christ. And if you've, um, it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, testimony. And uh, as Natasha was dying, he just saw very vividly these, a number of angels flying, uh, moving up and down her body. And he knew instinctively that they were there to take her spirit to heaven. And uh, so it's a story, but through that, he came to faith in Christ. And in the interview, he talks about giving up his, laying down his reputation because he's a very successful businessman. And he says in business, what really counts is your, it's reputation. It's having a good reputation. And he'd worked very hard and built a very successful business on the back of having a good reputation. And in his, um, in this interview and in his testimony, he says, he says, actually, what I found in Christ is so wonderful and so precious that actually I don't care about my reputation anymore. I don't care what people may think of me talking about, you know, a vision of angels. He says, I don't care what people think because what I found in Jesus is so special and has so changed my life and has so changed my perspective on life that actually nothing else matters. And we're reminded of that in this episode with Jairus, the synagogue leader who has everything to lose in coming to Jesus and yet he's prepared to lay it all down because he thinks that in coming to Jesus he'll he'll find something that he hasn't got and can't have without Jesus and he's in a very desperate situation um, uh, it's interesting in each of these episodes Luke goes to pains just to point out how bad things are so it's not just that his uh, his daughter is dying it's his only daughter. This is his only child. And she's about 12. So she's right at the kind of at the beginning of life. At the age of 12, um, in that culture at that time, she would have been thinking about marriage. She would have been thinking about her husband. She would have been thinking about children. She would have been, you know, she's right at the beginning of her life. And now she's dying. So Luke, you know, makes it clear this is a really desperate situation. His only daughter, and she's dying. And then, as we know, Jesus gets held up on the journey. Verse 49, uh, after Jesus has stopped the crowd in order to heal the woman with the issue of blood, uh, someone comes from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. In other words, it's, you know, it, it's too late. It's too late. There really is nothing more... Uh, than can be done. I say of all this, these four storms, this is the worst because you know death is that 
storm that comes to us in life that is it's the most terrible there is something there is something very shocking about about death which is why generally we don't you know we don't talk about it very much uh, the um, the writer to the Hebrews I find it Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15 uh, the writer to the Hebrews says this uh, about uh, Jesus becoming flesh he, uh, chapter 2 verse 14 15 he says since the children have flesh and blood in other words since we have flesh and blood he too Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death there's there's a kind of there's a general sort of fear of death which is why i think we don't you know we don't generally talk about death very much in our culture the whole emphasis of our culture and our society is well how can we avoid how can we avoid facing up to death? How can we stay young? How can we kind of live as long as possible so that we don't have to think about death? It's, it's the most shocking thing that happens to us in life. And to lose a child is, is the most shocking thing. Over the years, I've, you know, I've conducted a number of funerals for, you know, for children. And it is, it's just, it's unfair, it's unjust, it's not the way things are supposed to be. There's something deeply shocking about the finality of death. And here, Jairus' daughter, his hope for the future, his only child, has, has died. And those who bring the message say, well, you know, they're thinking, well, there's nothing more that can be done. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And what does Jesus say? Verse 50, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Because, because death is always surrounded by uh, fear. It, it just it generates fear in us. It's almost a natural reaction to death. He says, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. Don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. And this, as I say, this, the, each of these episodes that we're looking at, they reveal something about uh, the kind of the bigger picture of the gospel. What is the gospel actually all about? And the gospel is, as I said at the start of the service, it's, it's all about resurrection. Ultimately, it's all about the defeat of death. And in each of these episodes, Jesus is revealing something about his divine identity. Jesus is doing something that people thought only God could do. It's like when Jesus forgives sins and people get outraged. They say, well, only God can forgive sins. And that's exactly right. Jesus forgives sins because that's his divine nature. And here we, we can see Jesus doing the thing that only God can do, which is raised from death. It's the heart of the gospel. So Jesus says to this impossible situation where a child has died, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Uh, it reminds us of uh, a passage in John's Gospel. I'm sure a passage that you'd be familiar with. John chapter 14, where Jesus is trying to um, prepare his friends, trying to prepare his disciples for the fact that he is going to leave them and that he is going to die. And of course, the disciples, the, you know, that's just not what they're expecting. The thought of Jesus not being with them is, is horrible. They don't, don't want to get their heads around it. And Jesus tries to... Prepare them for the fact that he is going to die. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. And at the beginning of John chapter 14, 
Uh, he says a similar thing to what he says to Jairus. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid. John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. So you know, says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Says the same thing to the disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. When we're thinking about death, when we're thinking about our own death, the fact that at some point we are going to die, when we consider the prospect of death, Jesus says to us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He goes on, as you'll know, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. And the reason that you have to hope in me is because I'm going to prepare a place. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. He's talking about the fact he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. But because of his divine identity, his divine nature, he will defeat death. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And the only reason the gospel writers sat down and wrote their gospels is because what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. He went to the cross, he died, and then he defeated death. And that's why they have confidence that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the answer to surviving death is not how hard we work and not what we do, as we were reflecting a bit last Sunday. It's not that, oh, I've, I'm good enough, I've earned my place, I've done enough. No, what does Jesus say to Jairus? He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. That's the heart of the gospel. It doesn't work on our being good enough. It doesn't work on our earning enough brownie points. It doesn't uh, work on our good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. It simply works on the basis of our believing. Remember the, uh, the storm on the lake. What is it that Jesus says to the disciples when he's calmed the storm? He says, where is your faith? That's what you were missing. Where was your trust? See, the gospel is all about trust in who Jesus is and in what he has done rather than in uh, who we are without him and in what we have done. It's not, our trust is not in our good works. It's not in our being good enough. It's in him. What is it that Jesus says to the woman who he heals with the issue of blood when he sends her away? He says, daughter, what has healed her? Your faith. Your faith has healed you. The fact that you were willing to put your trust in me. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. That's the heart of the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for us, not what we do for him. But that's an extraordinary thing. It's, it's, kind of a, it's an easy thing to say, isn't it? Um, don't be afraid. Just believe. But you and I know 
that it's, um, it's one thing to say, it's actually sometimes an incredibly difficult thing to do. When you find yourself in a situation where, you know, where things are really desperate and literally there's, there is nothing that you can do to hear those words of Jesus that he just, he says to us in those moments is, don't be afraid, trust me. That's not always so easy, is it? When things are really difficult and we're just thinking, I literally, I just, I don't know what to do. And we immediately kind of go down that line towards um, hopelessness and despair and panic and fear. And to stop all of that on the basis of believing that Jesus is who he said he is, that's, that's a step. That's a challenge. It's, it's making that choice to believe that Jesus is faithful. That Jesus is true, that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. That actually, even in this moment when everything, I, everything in me wants to panic and despair, that actually I can stop and say, no, Jesus, you are who you said you were. You are the son of God. You are bigger and greater and stronger than my circumstances. And it's in that moment when we make that step of faith that we find peace. That peace that passes understanding. That peace that makes no sense to the world. But it's in those moments when we're willing to put our trust in him. Even when everything around us seems in chaos. When we're just prepared to believe in who he is and in his faithfulness and in what he's done. That we find that incredible Peace. And when we're faced with our own mortality, and when we're faced with our own death, it's the same thing. That sometimes people look towards death and all they feel is, is fear about the prospect of dying. Fear about the prospect of losing a loved one. Again, it's in those moments of where we just say, actually, Jesus, I, I believe in you. I believe in what you did on the cross. I believe that you rose from death and therefore... I believe that I can find peace in this circumstance and in this situation. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James, the child's father and mother. Uh, there are, um, the people who were there wailing and mourning are the professional, uh, they're the, kind of the professional mourning party who are brought in to honour the person who has Died. When someone dies, you, you kind of hire them in to do your weeping and wailing with you as a way of honouring the deceased. And they're there because they know this little girl is dead. But Jesus says, uh, no, you know, no, stop wailing. She is not dead, but asleep. He dismisses them. And the only people that he takes in to see the little girl are the parents, Jairus and his wife, and Peter, John and James. Why? Well, because he's just said... Uh, don't be afraid, just believe. And he wants people in the room with him so that the room is filled with faith. He wants people in the room with him who are filled with faith that this little girl is going to come back to life. Peter, John and James, although they're still trying to work out exactly who Jesus is, they've seen enough to know that um, Jesus can change impossible situations. So he takes them in with him. He takes the parents in with him. The parents have faith because they've sent for Jesus and they believe that he can make a difference. And 
The people that Jesus doesn't want to be there are the ones who think that, uh, well, she's dead and there is no hope. There's nothing that can be done. It's one of the reasons why being part of a community of faith, being part of a church community, I know it's challenging in these days of coronavirus, but it's why being part of a Christian community in whatever shape or form we can is so important because we need to be surrounded by people who are on the same page as we are in terms of believing and trusting in Jesus, that when we're faced with impossible situations in our life, the people we want to be surrounded with are people who have faith and hope that those situations can change. It's so important that we encourage one another in our journey of faith. Jesus just takes in the parents and Peter, John and James because he wants the room to be filled with faith and trust in who God is. The professional mourners and wailers laugh at him. They know that she's dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So it was one of those um, curious and extraordinary things that, that Jesus performs these incredible, uh, you know, incredible miracles. And of course, everyone is going to talk about it. You know, there's this huge crowd of mourners and wailers and they've seen this little girl die. And, you know, of course, everyone is going to talk about it. It just seems an extraordinary thing that Jesus orders them not to tell anyone what had happened. It's this, um, particularly in Mark's gospel, it's this uh, sort of messianic secret that Jesus does these amazing things. And he says, well, don't tell anyone what I've done. And it's, and it's all about the fact that Jesus is having to reframe expectations of the Messiah. That he's a suffering Messiah who's going to end up on a cross, not a military Messiah who's going to lead an uprising against the Jewish, uh, against the Roman occupation. And uh, the reason it seems that Jesus often says to people, would, you know, try and keep this quiet is because he's trying to reframe people's expectations of exactly who he is and what he's come to do. But this is a story all about resurrection. It's a story that reframes the way we think about resurrection. The Jewish expectation was for a, you know, a general resurrection at the end of time. Jesus is now talking in terms of uh, a more individual, a more specific resurrection. But that's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. Uh, just, uh, I want to draw to a close with just some words from Paul, who, the Apostle Paul, whose life was completely changed by his encounter with a risen Jesus. And I guess in different ways, in some ways, the reason that we're here uh, worshipping and the reason that we follow Jesus is because in some way we've had an encounter with a Jesus who is alive and that's changed everything for us. And it changed Paul's life completely. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Uh, the, the Christian church began to talk about people who died as having fallen asleep because they knew that death wasn't the end. So they, begin, they say, you know, they've fallen asleep. They're not dead. They've gone on to a new life. Uh, it says, or to grieve like other people who have no hope. 
who grieve like other people who have no hope. When we lose someone that we love, then of course we grieve. Because that's the price you pay for love, is when you lose someone, it, it's, you know, your heart is broken. But Paul says, yes, we grieve, but not like other people who don't have hope, because we do have hope, a certain hope, because we know where we're going. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, uh, Paul writes about the dilemma that he faces. Having discovered this new hope in Christ, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. See, that's our hope, that when we die, we go to be with Christ. And we know what Christ is like because of the Gospels. There could be no more wonderful thing than to be with Christ. That's what... Paul has this, this struggle because he's struggling in life and he's suffering in life. And he thinks, actually, I know what I'm looking forward to and I can't wait. He says, I want to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. My work on earth has not finished, but I know what I'm looking forward to. And I, I can't wait to get there. Is that how we, have we discovered that for ourselves? Is that how we... How we face the prospect of death. That actually, there's, there's not a fear about dying, there's an excitement. When we think about the prospect of death, are we excited about that day coming? Yes, we, you know, we enjoy this life and we love this life and there's so much to live for. But ultimately, we are excited about the new life to come because we are so certain about what we hope for. Have we got to that place where that Paul had got to, that he says, actually, I'd, I'd rather go to be with Christ. But I know there's still stuff for me to do here on earth. And just finally, uh, just from uh, these are some of the last words that Paul wrote before he died in his second letter to Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul wrote uh, shortly before he died. It's, it's his kind of um, farewell message to Timothy to encourage him. Paul knows that he is, uh, you know, his ministry is drawing to a close. He writes this letter to encourage Timothy and he writes this, uh, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 6. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. The time has come for my departure. Just it's a lovely, it's a lovely way of Paul writing about his last days. That rather than thinking in terms of, oh, everything is now coming to an end, he says, no, I'm, I'm preparing for my departure. I'm preparing to leave this life in order to set sail for a new life. That's how he talks about his death, as a departure. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's us. That's us who have put our hope and trust in Christ. Because we long for his appearing. We long for Jesus to return as he promised that he would. That's our longing. And Paul says, that's what we're looking forward to. The crown of of righteousness, 
which the righteous judge will award us on that day. He's approaching his death and he, his heart is filled with not fear, but it's filled with hope. It's filled with joy. It's filled with excitement. He's ready for his departure. His bags are packed. He's at the airport. He's checked in and he knows. He's looking forward to the destination. That's the heart of the gospel. That's why Jesus came. That's what the Christian faith is all about. Discovering that the, the way to survive death is by putting our trust in the one who's gone before. The one who went first and then came back and now invites us to join with him. That's the hope that we have this morning. That's why we worship and that's why we celebrate. But are we as excited about the prospect of our dying as Paul was? Do we understand that actually for, for those who trust in Christ, the moment of our death is the moment of our greatest victory? It's not a defeat. It's the moment of our greatest victory because it's the moment when all the evil and the suffering and the trials of this life and everything that Satan seeks to throw against us, all of it is left behind. Because on that day, we go to be with Christ. It's the moment of our greatest victory. So let's take a moment to uh, just to reflect and to pray together and to... Just in our hearts, give thanks to God and give thanks to Jesus for the hope that we have. But maybe also ask him to help us in our faith and in our trust of him. Because sometimes in those moments of fear and of desperation it can be hard to hold on to faith and we need his uh, we need his help so let's take a few moments just to quietly reflect and to pray in the quietness of our own hearts <laughs>